In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Diet Starts Tomorrow, with host Aileen Drexler. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I'm on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm your host, Aileen, and today I'm joined by Dr. Lindsay Kite and Dr. Lexi Kite, co-authors of the book, More Than a Body, Your Body is an Instrument, Not an Ornament. They're co-directors of the nonprofit Beauty Redefined. They have PhDs in the study of female body image, and they are identical twins, which is amazing for me right now on our camera. <laughs> welcome. Hello. Thank hey. you be here. This is great. I feel like, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you get this all the time, but you guys look very similar, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but welcome to the show. It's so funny because I was recording. I don't know if you know, uh, Sarah Landry, she's bird's papaya for our yeah. Betches moms podcast and completely separately. She's like my favorite account to follow is beauty redefined for Aww. like all of that. And I'm like, Oh, I must follow. And then we just kind of got also got connected separately to come on this show and yes. I'm so excited it worked out. We, oh, love, we love her. her. She reviewed our book. She's amazing. She, Yeah, she's also amazing. All right. So I'd love to learn about you guys. Where, first of all, where are you from? What inspired you to even get into this field? I mean, you have PhDs in the study of female body image. Like, how did you, how did you get into this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's kind of strange that we're identical twins and we ended up doing the exact same thing. And we tried really hard not to, but it turns out we like all the same things. We're good at all the same things. And that's actually part of where all this started. Growing up as identical twins, we grew up in Idaho, in southeastern Idaho. And we were super competitive, kind of high achievers. And we got compared to each other constantly. So every single person who met us or even just saw us for the first time that day would come up to us scan us up and down and say, oh, wait, don't tell me. You're Lexi. You're Lindsay. Because I know because Lindsay has the rounder face and Lexi's got the mole on her nose or like, you know, Lexi's skinnier than Lindsay or whatever the thing is that day. So we were constantly in this hierarchy of comparison where one was always losing and one was always winning, even if people were trying to be nice. And it just led us to be super antagonistic toward each other. We were always kind of, you know, and being in an environment where beauty was the most important thing, we were comparing our weights and our beauty and our popularity and all of that against each other. And I think all of that in the midst of being in, you know, a 90s environment where all 
beauty ideals were extremely thin. We never saw anyone over a size two represented, even remotely positively, in media. Then all of that led to this environment where we were extremely self-conscious of our bodies. We were constantly obsessed with weight loss and beauty and teen magazines and everything reinforced that. And it led us to have kind of a wake-up call when we were freshmen in college. We were sitting in a class that was, it was called Media Smarts. It was for journalists who were learning about how media representations affect our perceptions of people. And the part about women and how women's bodies and the ways they were represented were so warped and twisted to create this perception of abnormal in all the rest of us, that Mm kind of gave us both this identical moment of like goosebumps, heart racing, where we both felt like, wow, 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 we have been affected by this. And this is something we need to really think about and focus on moving forward. So we did. Yeah, right. That was the beginning. That was like, we went through 10 years of college together trying to figure out not just why girls and women especially are so impacted by these ideals, but what do we do? Like, what is the end game here? How do we fix this problem? And that's when we established our nonprofit and started, you know, speaking across the country. And we feel like we have a really particular message that we don't hear elsewhere. We feel like we're kind of like filling this hole in the research and activism that's happening that um, we see a lot of it as kind of reinforcing objectification of women in ways that we don't want to happen. And so we've kind of had to call out some of the even body positivity stuff that's going on. Yeah. I was going to ask you about body positivity, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with it. Yeah. So what is that message that you're talking about? Like, what do you write about in your book? So the title of our book is More Than a Body, and that is the umbrella through which we want everybody to see the world. We have all grown up and grown older in a world that convinces us that we are bodies first and humans second, that girls and women in particular are a collection of parts, and that as you are fixing those parts and flaunting the right parts as a project for your whole life, that's how you'll gain like happiness, success, love, health. And that is not true. That is an endless war that we are all fighting that nobody is winning that's keeping so many of us on the sidelines of our lives really with our unfulfilled potential just like sitting on the sidelines so what we want people to know is that the pain you experience in your body like to be able to actually shine a light on it the crap you experience from not just like cat calls and even worse the violence that is inflicted on so many of us because of objectification but all the way through to just the typical body shame we experience our relationships with our moms and aunts how they talk about their bodies the media we consume that if we can name it and call out the objectification we see the way it dehumanizes us and causes us to see ourselves as bodies first That's the first step to rising with resilience in the face of all of it. Linz, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's kind of where our message starts to differ from a lot of others who have been tackling this problem for the last like 20 years. Like we all remember the Dove videos that first came out in the early 2000s. Like everybody remembers when Lexi and I first started really doing research on body image and how people's perceptions of their bodies influenced how they treat their bodies and their whole self-worth. Everyone said, oh, have you seen the Dove videos? And it's like, yes, everyone in the entire world saw the Dove videos. (laughs) People still say that to us, especially on dates with guys. They'll say, oh yeah, I've seen the Dove videos. And I'm like, yeah, the work isn't done. On the videos. <laughs> so we we like to kind of position it back that way in the 2000s. And even over the last 10 years, there's so much messaging around 
all bodies are beautiful. Your flaws make you beautiful. You know, it's like, go girl, you can do anything you want. And also just remember how beautiful you are along the way, because that's going to lead to your success as long as you have the confidence in knowing you look good. But what we found is that even though that feels good for a minute, like it, it does, it's very refreshing to think, oh, a stranger thinks I'm more beautiful than I think I am at this moment. It doesn't mean that it lasts or that you feel good about your body because you're going to be hit with another message that reminds you that's just not true in the next five seconds. Right. So further, you write that body image isn't believing that your body looks good. It's knowing your body is good regardless of how it looks. But like, what does that mean that your body is good? So instead of the whole, okay, I'm supposed to think I'm beautiful, what am I supposed to think? Yeah, good question. When we say that it's not knowing your body looks good, that's kind of in contrast to what we've been taught over so many years that you'll feel good about your body if you know that your body looks beautiful. And so all Mm -hmm. these interventions don't necessarily work because they stay at the surface. And what we want to do is actually reunite people with their own bodies as their homes. The problem with this whole objectification thing is we call it self-objectification. It's where you're living your life, you're walking down the street, you're sitting in a class, or a work meeting. You are imagining your body from the outside at all times. You are evaluating and moderating how you look through a lens of somebody else's eyes, like an imaginary stranger that's looking at you. Lexi and I talk about it like it's your identical twin watching you because we did this to each (laughs) other growing up. Like I would look at Lexi's body, even as like a five-year-old, and I would think, oh, okay, so that's how I look in my swimsuit. And in high school, all right, that's how the back of those jeans look on me. Wow, I had no idea. I was evaluating Lexi's body as if I was this critical onlooker, but perceiving my own body in that. And everybody does that through self-objectification. Like Girls and women today are thinking about how their bodies look. And it's like this mental task list where you may be walking down the street and instead of fully focusing on what's around you, what you're seeing or doing, you're actually thinking, okay, I need to, you know, keep my pants pulled up higher. My muffin top is starting to hang out. Or I need to, you know, move my hair out of my face and get the grease off my face, suck my stomach in, whatever it is that we're hung up on. We're self-objectifying when we're constantly running that mental task list through our minds. And the alternative to that is to know that you are more than a body and that your body is good because it's something that you live within. It is this instrument that you were literally born into. That is a real contrast to just looking at it from the outside and trying to determine if it's good based on how it looks. When you start from a place of knowing that it's good because it's simply your home, your instrument, even if it's not perfect, even if it's not exactly working how you want it to or looking how you want it to, that is this a subjective place of being. That's a place where you are the person doing the perceiving, the living, the experiencing, and you're prioritizing your experience in the world instead of the world's experience of your body. I, I'm with you for 100%. <laughs> But people are, like, we can't just suddenly be like, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks. That's just how we are by nature. How does one grapple with that? Like, I've seen you guys post, which I love, is that, like, bodies aren't meant to be looked at. But they are looked at, especially, like, in dating. Like, that is just a completely judgmental process. (laughs) So how, how do you grapple with that? What we want people to know is that we want people to really take inventory of how much of their time is spent thinking about how they look or how Mm. other people might think they look, even people you don't care about at all. I catch myself still walking down the street, looking at the guy in front of me, thinking, I wonder what he thinks of how I look. And I don't know him and I do not care about him in any way. And yet all of us 
do this thing called self-objectification. And most of us spend way too much time with our minds literally split in two, our identities split in two. And so when you start to realize, damn, I have spent a huge portion of my life evaluating myself according to my worst fears of what a stranger might be thinking of what they look at me. Think about what you've missed out on. Think about what you're not doing. Think about the joy you're not having in your relationship right now with your health, you know, with your your career, with whatever it is. What are you holding yourself back from? We want people to realize that feeling like you look good, it's nice, but it's fleeting and there's more. When you can work on prioritizing how you feel, which is so hard, I get it. We all get it. <laughs> We're all living in this world where people are looking at us. But the truth is when you consider like, what's the worst that can happen if that person sees you and they don't like what they see? Like media messages, cultural messages, our family, these messages teach us that what other people think of what they look at us has real world consequences on us. And the truth is, unless you're going to lose your job, unless your husband is going to leave you because of how you look, most of us have way more privilege than we have been taught to believe we do, way more. And that as you prioritize your happiness inside your body, everything else improves. Your sex life improves, your relationships improve, the way you feel walking down the street improves, your ability to go to the gym and just work out and not be so self-conscious that you have to get the right outfit or have to get in shape to go to the gym. You know, these are all right. things that really happen that research shows. We just have so much faith in people, especially women, to be able to do more and be happier instead of being stuck in this place where we sit back thinking, when I qualify to be seen, then I'll do the thing. There is no joy in that. There is no living. There is no power in doing that. You're so yeah. right. And then the, the also the level of like, okay, you're walking down the street, you see somebody wonder how they're, they're looking at you. And then there's social media, looking at your own profile and then wondering how yeah. whatever your reach is, millions of strangers, how they perceive you and like, what are they thinking of you? That's another level of uh, craziness. Yeah. You probably <laughs> also realize that like, even as you know, you've had a baby, I've had a baby, my body's changed a ton. Lindsay's has changed a ton. In the course of doing our work, like over the last 12 years, we have changed. We've gotten older and fatter for sure. Because, <laughs> like, I, I catch, you know, when we're doing a speaking event, sometimes I get nervous, like, oh, they're going to see that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fat, you know, like they're going to, are they going to think that my words don't mean anything because they're judging my body? Right. And yet that never happens because what they hear kind of like uh, contradicts the immediate thought of, oh, but she might just be like kind of jealous or the opposite end. She's too young, you know, she's too pretty to know what body shame feels like, give her 10 years, you know. Mm -hmm. They start to learn that being more than a body means that we cannot negate people for how they look. We have to listen to what they say. We all objectify each other in that way. Even as we self-objectify, we silence each other and judge each other. But the truth is, like, haven't you noticed that even as your looks have changed and your body has changed in whatever ways, that it doesn't actually matter what strangers on the internet or strangers on the street think. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it has no bearing. Even though every message you hear is like, your life will open up once you know you get the injections or once you do the thing. But that's not true. Your life is already here. It's already yours. That's so true. So let's talk about the positive body image movement. There's so much language 
yeah. out there around it. Body love, body acceptance. No, we must not accept. We must be neutral. <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting, first of all. What are your thoughts on that? Like, how should we, or what's your opinion on how we should be thinking about our bodies? Great question. The whole world of body positivity and everything, it's just so fraught, you know? There's it's never the right way to say it. Everything's always right. changing. And I know that we've contributed to that conversation and what we don't want to do is vilify any parts of it. If you want to call it body positivity, body acceptance, body love, whatever, all of that is good because it's a step in the right direction. So, even these campaigns that, you know, it's the women in their underwear saying all bodies are beautiful, your stretch marks are tiger stripes or whatever all good. What we want to do is continue to move that conversation forward because what we've seen over the last 15 years is that that has not necessarily moved the needle in terms of how real people feel about their bodies. And it hasn't moved the needle on how many people are starting crash diets, engaging in disordered eating, undergoing plastic surgery, whatever. So what we want to do instead is to make sure that we can keep people on a track to get to the next level. And what we feel like the next level is, is body image resilience. It's it, baked into this model, you know, that we came up with throughout our PhD research is the idea that we all live in this objectifying environment. And so baseline, a lot of us are thinking of our bodies as objects to be seen from the outside first and foremost. And we're being reminded of that constantly. With body positivity, there are lots of, you know, ways to think about your body that may be happier and better. And, and you may think of more different types of beauty as beautiful and acceptable. That's all really good. The problem comes in when we face these body image disruptions. So it's all the things that we go through that convince you that you're worthless, that make you feel this body shame and to self-objectify and hold yourself back from all of the important things in your life. With body positivity, you can't just talk yourself out of the hard things that you go through. You can't just say, okay, that person just, you know, totally harassed me and said disgusting things to me on the internet or on the street, or I saw this photo or video of myself that I was so embarrassed by. You can't just say, no, I'm beautiful and perfect as I am. <laughs> it, it just doesn't really work. And yeah. so what we came up with is a bit more of a comprehensive strategy. It's an actual model that, that predicts that we will be experiencing body image disruption. So we've got our comfort zone that's not that comfortable. Most of us are, you know, we have some body shame. We're feeling defined by our appearance, but it's normal because of the nature of this environment that we live in, where our bodies are the most important thing. We face these disruptions. We think of them like waves of disruption that'll knock you out of that body image comfort zone. And we're forced to respond. With body positivity and some of the more sometimes surface level strategies to be able to recover from that, we may be able to get back to that comfort zone where we're thinking, all right, yeah, okay, um, I am beautiful. He didn't know what he was talking about. Everything's fine. We may cope by hiding and fixing is primarily what people do. We hide our bodies or we fix our bodies or make plans to fix our bodies. And that gives us this semblance of control, like we can get back to our, our comfort zones. All of those are temporary. They may provide this, you know, temporary relief and feel like we're okay. But in the end, we're clinging to really uncomfortable comfort zones that aren't serving us. We're still hiding. We're still sitting out of events and sports, staying in crappy relationships just because we're so grateful that he's attracted and, and where else will we go? This happens all the time. Like people mm -hmm. can, they can hear themselves in these scenarios because we all can. And with body image resilience, we want people to find a pathway out of it, not just staying in this same cycle. 
when you think of it from a resilience standpoint, you recognize that those hard things that we're going to go through, the feelings that are going to come up in this objectifying environment, those are actually our invitations to respond in a different way. It's this immediate reminder that I'm going to go into a new mindset. No longer am I hiding and fixing and just you know, convincing myself that I'm beautiful. Instead, you may even start with just an easy mantra, like my body is an instrument, not an ornament, and make your choices from there. It, we, we can talk all day long about what the new strategies and options are, and that's what our book is about. But when you start from a place of my body is an instrument for my use, my experience, and my benefit, it gives you this freedom, this license to be able to not just hide and fix and instead move toward a place where you reconnect with your body instead of splitting from it and watching it from the outside. That's where you can improve your physical health, your mental health, your relationships, your everything that body shame holds us back from. I really love that you guys outline a strategy. You you brought up diets and disordered eating and all of that. And I, I appreciate that because, you know, body image is such a significant factor when it comes to women's or, or men's choice in the way that they eat yeah. or exercise or not exercising. So how do you separate those two or how – for anybody who's trying to heal their relationship with food, how do you how do you approach that with healing your body image? We actually approach it from the perspective of your body as an instrument, not an ornament. And that okay. that probably sounds trite when people have heard it over and over again. But right. the difference is we are valuing how we feel and what we do as opposed to how we look. It is counterintuitive for people because we've grown up in this environment where every easy way that we've been taught to gauge our health and fitness boils down to your weight, your appearance, your size, your measurements. Yeah, like when people – Right. When people are planning their New Year's resolutions, 90% of women are going to say to get back into those jeans or to get to this weight, whatever it may be, um, to get swimsuit ready before going on that cruise or whatever. Summer body, so, right. <laughs> yes. Always the summer body thing. It's And it's a new year, new you body. There's always a festive <laughs> time to lose weight, right. you know? It's always and none of them marketing. ever really work or really last. So when people are thinking about their health and fitness, they're often thinking about what they want their body to look like. When you take a more instrumental view, a more subjective view inside your body instead of from the outside, you will um, not only find exercise to be more enjoyable and rewarding, it also becomes more sustainable. And I've heard you talk about this on your podcast before because there we know how easy it is to get discouraged when the scale doesn't show you the results that you thought your exercise routine was going to do. And there's tons of research to back that up, that particularly for women, women quit and they perceive themselves to be unsuccessful when the scale doesn't change or when your six-pack abs don't show up when you think they should. And men do the same thing too when their focus is on muscularity and fat loss as opposed to stamina, endurance, strength time out there, mental health, endorphins, all of these actual things that exercise lead to. A lot of people, I can hear people already saying, well, but I do need to lose weight for my health. So how do I not focus yeah. on weight? That's always the question. Um, and what we know from years and years of research, decades of research, is that there is not one sustainable way to lose weight and keep it off. There is not one successful way to do it. What we do know is that if you're really thinking about your health, if you're really honest with yourself, your health is not measured through your weight. It's measured through your blood pressure, 
your cardiovascular fitness, your respiratory health, your blood sugar. Which of those things are you worried about? Is it your cholesterol that you want to get to a more steady place? Do you want to get your blood pressure down? Do you want to get your blood sugar in check? Exercise does all of those things. Exercise and uh, you know eating a balanced diet, those are things that can be measured from inside your body and not from the outside looking at it. Really, taking the looks thing out of the equation is what really drills it down to your actual health and fitness and can help you to stick with an exercise routine because it provides these benefits that you can actually see in lab results as opposed to the results that you may or may not see in your genes or the mirror. One question we posed on Instagram recently that got a lot of traction was, when you uh, looked the best, in quotes, were you treating yourself the worst? And the truth is, when I look back, like my my like stereotypical best look, oof, that was when I was controlling my food like you would not believe and like is too triggering to say out loud. That's when I was tanning, which resulted in melanoma and major surgery because I'm a blonde haired, blue eyed gal. So any of you um, light skinned gals out there, the tanning has to go. You know, these are these things where we're prioritizing how we look over how we feel. And I was dating at the time. I had full priority on I wanted to be loved. And I thought the way to earn love was to look one very particular way. And I did everything in my power to get there. And the truth is, I was not happy. And I look at my life now um, you know, sometimes I say I have I have two kids. I have a baby. I have a five year old. I'm definitely fatter than I've ever been, and I'm happier than I've ever been. My relationship is as awesome as it's ever been. My life is great, and it doesn't have anything to do with my body. You know, there's a small portion of listeners who their career does have to do with their body. They are models, maybe. You know, like there's mm-hmm. a couple. You know professions where it actually does have everything to do with how thin you are or with how good you look. And the rest of us with the privilege to not have to have our whole livelihoods baked into how we look at this time, I cannot reiterate enough that when you prioritize like your actual happiness, like your actual relationships, being engaged with people right now, your actual health, you might look a little bit different than you've been taught you should. And that ideal you, that future you that you always picture, that skinnier, prettier, less saggy, perkier, whatever, she's not real. You know, like she's not, but you are. And like, it's okay to have these goals. It's okay. We live in a world that like is very afraid of fat and I totally get it. And we're still fighting, you know, the internalized fat phobia that every one of us have. But it's okay to set goals for yourself. But when you're prioritizing how you feel, what you can do. It means that instead of thinking about losing that baby weight, I'm thinking about, I want to go hike with my husband and not feel self-conscious that I'm going to hold him back. So what am I going to do? I'm going to get on that treadmill on an incline and I'm going to go. And that is that momentum for me. It makes it sustainable. Where if my goal had been to, to lose the weight so that I could get back to what I was five years ago, it would have been so unsustainable. I would have quit forever ago. Yeah, you quit immediately. Like it fails. I mean, I, we have heard the like think about how it makes you feel, but what you both said about taking the looks out of the equation, I feel like just that switch, like that reframing of you know the way that we think about that, really clicked in my head. Like because you know you always sort of you say okay, but the looks will be like a byproduct then of how I feel. Like you're still thinking about it; it's always in the back yep. of your mind. But if you really allow yourself to remove it, then you are just left with how you how it makes you feel. And I really that just resonated with me. Thank you. Yeah. 
It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Smalls cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some to my friend who is fostering kittens and it is the only thing they will eat. It comes in these pate packages and you scoop it and you just feel like you're a chef for your baby kitties and they j'adore it. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com slash DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order plus free shipping, baby. Okay, I want to talk about aging because you guys talk about that, like men versus women and all of that. So what are your thoughts on like Botox, expensive skincare, covering up gray hair, like makeup? What is what is the line? Like what is okay? How, how do we justify all of this? <laughs> oh, big question and good question. Yeah. <laughs> and it really is one that people have for us all the time. You can read our book and we're pretty transparent about the fact that, yeah, we wear makeup. We like clothes. I like to shop online way, way, way too much. Um, you know, <laughs> we line our eyebrows and pluck our eyebrows and all that kind of stuff that fits with the trends. But the the real question there is like, how are these things gendered? When you can see how gendered they are, I think it shows us how rooted they are in this objectifying culture that values women for our bodies and men for their bodies and lots of other things that are equally important. Um, So when you bring up the aging thing, I think that's uh, really the heart of the question. Like, it's no surprise that all of the the things that happen to women as we age are deemed like gross and embarrassing and secret, and we need to hide them. While for men, they're sexy, you know? We love a distinguished, stately silver fox. You know, no one's complaining when the newsman gets 75 years old and gray and wrinkly, no. while the woman is like still perfectly blonde and 25 and teeny tiny. It is, it's a double standard, a huge double standard. And what we really want to do is just not continue to buy into these ideals that are manufactured for women every single day and then pass down to our daughters and our students and our nieces and the next generations because we feel such pressure to acclimate to this standard that is set every single day. So no, we aren't like morally opposed to Botox and breast augmentation and all the anti-aging things and diets and whatever. We are opposed to the fact that women are held to the standard that will take over our entire lives. You know, no woman is ever going to really be totally satisfied with her body and her face because the standard is constantly changing. And even we've heard from models, supermodels, influencers that people look at them and think they are the most traditionally beautiful person in the world. And that if we really live in this system and this environment where looking beautiful and perfect leads to health, 
happiness, love, all of the things that we want in this life, success, then we wouldn't have women reaching out to us saying, wow, your message spoke to me more than anything. I've needed this my whole life. You know, I've made my income around my body, but it has sucked my soul out of my body. And I, you know, I'm terribly unhappy and have made all these choices that fully revolve around how I look. I mean, that's an extreme example. But the question that we want to pose instead of like, where is the line? I'm not going to draw the line for anybody. I'll draw the line for myself. Lexi will draw the line for herself. Where we've chosen to draw the line is to not do anything that hurts us. I, I don't, I won't do anything that, you know, physically hurts. And I also take inventory constantly of how much money I'm spending, how much time I'm spending, and how much like emotional energy and effort I'm putting into worrying about my body and my looks and my aging and all of that. Because that detracts from my quality of life. I could do a lot better things with that time and money. And where we want to change the conversation is to say, like, you get to be the judge of yourself. But the real question is not, where do you draw the line? It's, why do you want to draw the line? Think really of your motivations for even having that question. That question usually comes from a place of, like, there's an ethical question at the heart of it. There's this idea that well, maybe there should be a line, you know, maybe I shouldn't do every new thing. I might have the money for it and the time, but maybe there's some reason that I shouldn't do every procedure and make every change. (laughs) And for a lot of people, it's for their daughters. It's for their siblings, the, you know, their colleagues, their friends who, who look to them as, you know, just a regular person. And if that, if I feel like I need to change my face in such drastic ways because wrinkles are so gross and because fat is so unappealing and wrong, then why shouldn't the people who look up to me, why shouldn't my daughters change their nose because every woman in the family has changed their nose because that nose is bad and wrong? We get these messages from the people that we look up to, including older family members. And if those of us with, like Lexi mentioned, the privilege to be able to opt out of these things and still have a really great life. Like, honestly, if I'm not going to lose any meaningful relationships, um, if I am not going to lose my safety, security, the roof over my head, my job, my income, whatever, because I choose to not get into the anti-aging and the weight loss and everything else, then why not? Why, Why shouldn't I be the one to take that step and maybe in some ways make that sacrifice and prove to myself and everybody else that like, yeah, life is still really good even when you've got a forehead full of wrinkles and, you know, more weight than you expected to have at this age, whatever. Turns out everything's okay. And without having some of us who are willing to push back against that, then nothing will ever change. I feel a responsibility for the next generation to have at least some example, even just in my own little life that people could look to and say, oh, well, you know, she's wrinkly and fat and whatever I'll look like in 30 years. And actually, she's really happy and she's great and people love her. (laughs) That's what I want to do. I feel like one of the things I'm sure when people are listening, they're like, yeah, but oh, that sinking feeling you get when you think about not doing Botox, you know? That sinking feeling you get when you think about like not setting a weight loss goal. Like I'll just turn into a monster. Like yeah, what's going to happen to you? What is going to happen to me? Oh my gosh, you just, that shame rises up. And you know what that is? That's the shame of splitting from yourself and picturing yourself from your worst fears of what somebody might be thinking when they look at you instead of living inside your body. And the truth is, that the lie we've been sold, that you will become a monster, that you are disgusting, that you will lose everything you love, it's a myth and you can prove yourself wrong. And most of us 
kind of already have proven ourselves wrong. Like even during the pandemic, what an opportunity to kind of like downshift on some of your beauty work that you thought you had to do to be, you know, you. And you learn pretty quickly that like you're still you and that you can still be happy and have happy relationships and a happy life when you just downshift a little. And so all we want people to do, we're never going to shame or blame anybody for what they do in the name of beauty. Never. We get how hard it is. We're all in this together. But the truth is that there are a lot of people asking that question, where do I draw the line? And they're asking that question not because they want to know what we think they should do, but they're asking a deeper question, an ethical question. Why do I want to draw a line? What does this mean? Like, People are asking that question because you think maybe you should draw the line, you know? Maybe you should draw it somewhere for yourself, for everybody in your circles, because we have more power than we realize. We really do. I mean, yeah, totally. Like, I, I'm i with you on that. It's hard to sort of – I also – I struggle with drawing the line. Like, I haven't gotten Botox in a very long time. I'm going to be candid. I've had lip fillers in the past, and I was like, why am I doing this? Like you have to keep doing this for the rest of your life. What is the point? It is so much money. I'm like, okay, so I have thin lips. Like that's what I was born with. My daughter's going to have thin lips. Like what does that send? What message is that going to send to her? So I kind of stopped. But then like I sit and I stare at my forehead wrinkle. I'm like, am I going to fill that one? Like are we going to do that? (laughs) So it is really hard. And and I appreciate that also that you guys are saying that, you know, it's – the line is different for everybody. And your quality – if if it affects your quality of life, you should probably not do it. (laughs) Yeah. So so with aging though and talking about men – or just talking about your relationships. You, you, um, Lexi earlier said that like, oh, your marriage is great and your sex <laughs> life is great. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> ha- so I, I'm sure body image really does affect so many relationships, long-term relationships. People change from when they, what they looked like year one, date one, you know? Yeah. How, like, besides realizing that your body is, <laughs> Not is an instrument. How do you? How can you reframe the way that you think about it to not let it affect that? Do you? Do you need to do more work? And and what if your? And then what if your partner doesn't really want to change the way that they think? You know, how do you? How do you go about that? I think one of the best ways. I mean, if you're thinking about like your sex life in particular, yeah, one of the best ways (laughs) to prioritize like you. We've been told our whole lives that like we equate a woman's body with sex, you know, like when you're thinking about sex, like it's even symbolized by like a curvaceous woman's body. They've just become synonymous in media and in in our minds, in our culture, that women's bodies equal sex. And so we have been taught to believe that sexy is a look and it is a particular look. And that if you don't fit that look, the further you get from it, the, the less sexy you are, the more disgusting you are. And that is not actually true when you talk to actual individual people having sex. The truth is that sexy, if we prioritize how sexy feels, like how does it feel to feel good in your sex life, your pleasure? How does that feel when your body is an instrument for your use instead Mm -hmm. of an ornament to be admired? When you prioritize your own pleasure, all of a sudden, it does not matter how you look because you're back inside your own body and your partner is grateful for that. It sucks when you're self-objectifying for your partner. 
it sucks. Mm -hmm. You are faking your pleasure or you're not getting any, and you're just waiting for the job to be done. And that is not fun for them. So the best thing you can do is when you can help your partner understand that the more comfortable you are inside your body as it is right now, because this is who you are right now, you're not an imaginary future version of yourself that you're prioritizing. You're in your body right now. That as you help them and yourself understand that if you want to prioritize your actual pleasure and your actual sexiness, it's right here right now. And if they can help you feel comfortable in your body and good about your body in the moments, even in an ornamental way, you know, when you can help get back inside your body, it's good. It's better. And then all of a sudden, like you won't be blaming your, your crappy sex life or your lack of sex or intimacy in your life on your fat. Because that's actually not the problem. It's how you feel about your fat. It's not your actual yep. fat. I mean, yeah, you might have a partner. Some women do. And some lots of people do have a partner that has not evolved with them to recognize that, oh, yeah, your partner's body's going to change over time when they have a mm -hmm. baby, when they get older, when they gain weight, lose weight, go through a pandemic, whatever. And this is work that everybody has to do on their own because their feelings about your body are their problem, not yours. And that is easier said than done. I am like incredibly grateful that I have a husband who has been with me through it all and happy with me through it all. And it would be uh, like so hard to hear him say, nah, you know, <laughs> I'm not feeling it. And he hasn't and he won't because he loves me. And love is bigger than objectification, you know? And it also is. sex is bigger than objectification. Like the the yeah. thing that hurts women's sex lives in particular isn't that their bodies are changing. It's that they're embarrassed about their bodies changing. It's that they get in their heads about it. So it's it's body image. And, you know, body image is your feelings about your body. It's not how your body actually appears. So people will blame their body image for their lack of sex drive and their lack of connection or enjoyment. But the reality is it's your self-perception of your body. It's your feelings about your body that are the things that are actually holding you back. And that can be a real sex drive killer, a real intimacy killer just to be embarrassed of your body. So part of it is this self-work. It's like really start from a place of trying to get back inside your body to consider it as your home and a place of connection as opposed to this burden that you drag around and your project to constantly be fixed. And when you when you stop connecting your sex life with your sex appeal, according to really, really stereotypical ideals, then it creates this opportunity where you might have a hard conversation with your partner, your spouse, or whoever to say like, you know, I've really thought my whole life that in order to have a good sex life and to uh, make my partner happy, I have to look a certain way. And I'm realizing that the looking a certain way thing is going to be impossible for me and also absolutely ruin my quality of life like it has in the past. And you can share specific examples of how it's really sucked the life out of you. Like when you are calorie restricting and carb restricting and counting everything so closely that you don't have any energy, you are not going to have a sex drive. You are not going to want to have sex. You will not be happy and comfortable in your body. But when you are, you know, eating sufficiently, you're getting fresh air, you're, you know, doing things to actually take care of your body and focusing on your body from the inside, that it is sexy. It's sexier. You come back to a place where your sexuality is for you. It's not something to be perceived and enjoyed from the outside. It's enjoyable for you too. 
So have some hard conversations to say, hey, this is the ways that this kind of objectifying mindset about sex that we've all bought into has really hurt me. And what I want to do is change things for myself. Like, will you hold my hand through this and, and let's figure out how we can be totally comfortable and make this like a new, better experience for both of us. Maybe it includes cutting out some of the kind of stereotypical, trite, objectifying language. You know, maybe he's not talking about, ooh, you look, you know, I love your your tiny little waist. You look, whatever. Like if a man's complimenting your body shrinking, um, right. which often subtly will happen because they, you know, of course that's a compliment, right? That wouldn't be anything that would be triggering. You've taught them that that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We taught them. We've trained these men. Yeah. <laughs> and what we need to do is kind of like untrain them, maybe apologize for some of the training that we've done that we inadvertently took into our own lives and yeah. really deliberately, consciously change things up so that we can both be in our own bodies, connecting with each other, having real intimacy instead of this kind of fake outside hovering around our bodies. Yeah, I feel like also taking a look out of this part too would help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking exactly. about how it feels. There's a thread here. <laughs> I'm <Right>. catching on. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N U U L Y dot com, newly with two U's with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you talked about your daughters. Lexi, you said you have a daughter? Yeah, I have a baby and a five-year-old. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Have you ever heard of any of your people that write in or like anybody who um, you speak to who say like their daughter says something that they didn't teach them, that the mom didn't teach them? How how do you like kind of navigate that? Like how do you navigate body resilience with your kids? 
Oh my gosh. It starts young. My daughter, she'll be six in March. She's in kindergarten. It's the first time she's been around like a bunch of kids and a bunch of people that aren't me in a real way, you know, besides like the nanny. And I have raised her from being very young, memorizing that instrument mantra. It's on her mirror in her bathroom. Like she has learned it from a very young age. And it is wild to say that she has not yet said anything bad about her body because research and a lot of real life experience shows that even by like age three or four, girls are saying bad things about their bodies because of what they're consuming. All media shows girls as the sexualized other. You know, there's very few female protagonists in shows. Um, there's way more boys than girls in all shows. And the girls are often like the decorative other. Like they always have lashes to signify that they're female and they're pretty, you know, all these things. And so from a young age, I'm working with her where now when she's watching a show, she'll come up to me and say, mom, I don't think this represents girls good. (laughs) (laughs) There's like not enough girls in it. And I really prioritize like gender representation, like equal representation. That's so important because if girls grow up only seeing shows that mostly feature boys as leads, then they picture themselves as the sexualized other. Then pretty is way more important than it even is just like in our general life. And so, yeah, we get people writing in all the time talking about what their daughters are saying about, oh, somebody called me fat or that's one. One we talk about a lot is my daughter called herself fat or somebody called her fat. And the answer to that is never to respond with, you're not fat, you're beautiful. You're not fat, you're perfect. Because Mm -hmm. that is setting up fat as the antithesis of everything we want kids to be, you know, Mm -hmm. or to feel. And so instead, like, we need to neutralize that on the spot. And that means, um, so if they say I'm fat, we all have fat on our bodies. Like the other day, my daughter was, um, with me in the bathroom and she told me my butt was fat. And I was like, it is, it is yours is too. Like we've all got fat. This fat is so good. There's muscle under that fat. It's how I hike. It's how I sit comfortably. You know, we talked about that instrumental part of things. Mm -hmm. And I also, um, I told her that, a lot of people, because we're more than bodies, we don't talk about people as their bodies. Bodies change, bodies grow. Hers will change as she gets older. Hers will grow. And so while bodies are changing and growing and always dynamic, we don't want to talk to people about how their bodies look because there's way more important things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so to kind of to set up this instrumental thing really early on is so helpful for them because these kids, they're going to get it in a way that we didn't. Like they understand they are so much more loving and accepting and open to new ideas because they are seeing more. They're seeing more reality and being exposed to more information than we are. I have a lot of hope for them. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> mm-hmm. At most, most times. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what about like uh, people in your family specifically older generations who are like going around saying you're so pretty your eyelashes are so long like (laughs) the eyelash thing is so true like various compliments that are extremely superficial like looks based they don't see anything wrong in it like right how do you recommend to shut it down Right. It depends on who's asking. We've seen this not only in our own lives, but in lots of people that will write in or, you know, talk to us about this. It's constant. And you're right that it's the older generations often, but it's also so many people in our own generation who are still carrying this on. So if it's somebody that you're very comfortable with and it's easy, we recommend saying, and especially if there are kids watching or if there's a kid involved, saying, 
Thank you. We're working so hard to not talk about how we look because we remember when mommy was a little bit too interested in how she looked and mommy wasn't very happy or whatever. We can use specific examples to say things like, um, we've struggled in our house with worrying a little bit too much about what we're eating and how much we weigh and all of that. So we're trying to put the emphasis on how we experience the world in our bodies instead of how the world is experiencing us. So, you know, that's like the easy, casual way to try to sidestep it and say like, Mm -hmm. will you, will you join us? And we're going to, I would love to compliment you right now on everything that you're wearing or how you look. But instead I'm going to say, um, you know, I love that this food that you made and tell me what you've been up to at work lately. We ask questions instead of just throwing out compliments. That's often Mm -hmm. easier. I also set my daughter up with a buffer in advance. So like when we're going to the dentist, her dentist, that pediatric dentist, every one of those hygienists and the dentist himself talk all about looks the whole time. It's, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so beautiful. Look at those shoes. Oh, it just drives me nuts. And so (laughs) I told her in advance last time we went, Logan, they're going to be talking all about your looks. And you know what you could say? And I wrote this in the book too, because she did say it when she was little. Um, You could say, thanks. And I'm smart too. Or thanks. (laughs) And I just learned to read or, you know, like change the subject. So thank them, shift. And that it works. Like it really depends, but that kind of shuts down the situation where I've taught her that lots of people want to compliment you because the easiest thing you can do is just talk about how somebody looks and that we want to, we want to dig deeper. Like I tell her that one of her goals is to help people feel happier. And one of the ways to do that is to compliment them for more. Like the look stuff is fleeting and it changes and it causes people to think more about how they look. And so it's it's better to dig a little bit deeper. And that means, like Lindsay said, instead of just leading with that, like a lot of times those looks-based compliments come from anxiety of not knowing what else to say. Yeah, like that's yeah. being afraid of silence. Yeah. <laughs> and so instead, if you can lead, like start with a question, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a minute, you know? That stuff, yeah. it opens up the convo in a new way. Yeah, so true. And people, when, when they compliment you, you, it's not a big deal for them. But then you take that compliment, you're like, okay, like, I when I don't have this, does that mean right. like they notice or does that make me less than? Totally. <sighs> Compliments are loaded. <laughs> yeah, they mean, people mean so well, but. <laughs> <laughs> so one more question. Is there any kind of body image homework that we can give our audience, our DSTers? Like what ways or actions can, or maybe like one thing that we could do to start reframing the way that we think about your body's an instrument, not an ornament? Yeah. The baseline question that we ask everybody in the beginning of our book, in our course, um, everywhere, is how do you feel about your body? We want people to like actually answer it, like record it on your phone, in the notes, whatever, answer it. And the vast majority of people, they answer by talking about how they think their body looks to other people. So it's all the worst things. They're reflecting like, well, I'm, I'm fatter than I used to be, or I'm getting really saggy in these ways. And if I can get that fixed... I'll feel good. Mm-hmm. So they're only talking about how they look. It's that self-objectification coming out. And if we can get people to answer that question, I mean, now I've ruined it um, because <laughs> I've told you how a lot of people are going to respond. But if you can, if you can ask yourself that question honestly, and if you're only talking about how you look, like your worst fears of how you look, that means that you're living in this place where you are split from yourself. You're watching yourself from the outside. You're opting out of your life and your body. You really are. Mm-hmm. That's the consequence. And instead, work to get that answer back into what you experience in the world. What are your goals for what you want to experience? What are the happiest moments you've had inside your body? Like, yeah, 
you can you can move that into a strategy by um, recognizing when the self-objectification is happening. What does your mental task list sound like? When you find yourself slipping outside of your body and imagining yourself from the outside, kind of mentally, partially distracted from whatever you're doing in that moment, that's your opportunity to say, wait, this is self-objectification. I don't have to do this. I don't deserve this. It's the norm for me, but it should not be normal and comfortable. You hear the mental task list, and when you recognize it, that immediately is your your opportunity to say, I'm going to take three very deep breaths right now, in through the nose, out through the mouth, relax your stomach. They call it soft belly breathing in mindfulness. And that is crucial in the body image part of this conversation, because as women, we've been sucking our stomachs in, like even when we're alone. So relax your stomach, do this three times, repeat some mantra that you like. It sounds cheesy, but honestly, it it fills your lungs with air. It gets the oxygen to the rest of your body and it gets your body out of fight or flight or what we call in body image, hide or fix. And so when you can actually fill your whole body with that oxygen, then you settle back into exactly what you're doing. You repeat, I am more than a body. My body is an instrument, not an ornament, whatever it is that kind of resonates with you. And that's your opportunity to to go into the body image resilience mindset. You're going to look at what's triggering this feeling. You're going to look at what anxiety is really happening up in the clouds and get back inside your physical body. Think about your senses. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you physically touching right now? How does your butt feel on the chair instead of how are other people looking at my thighs on this chair? It really is a different mindset and it can reshape how you act the rest of the day. So, so if when you ask, let's say when you pose that question to some, to to one of you, let's say you guys have sort of think you think that way, what would you write in that when asked that question? Like, how do I feel about my body? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The goal is to to think about your body in terms of what you experience. So when I am when I'm thinking about how do I feel about my body, I would think I have a complicated relationship with my body. Um, right now my leg kind of hurts where I got skin cancer removed, but I'm really grateful that the skin cancer is gone. I'm thinking about how I went for a long walk yesterday and I'm so grateful that my body carried me through, you know, some hills and more subway stairs than I was interested in normally doing. And I'm Mm going to try to do that number of stairs again today. So it gets easier next time. And I'm not huffing and puffing at the top. I'm genuinely thinking about what my body allows me to experience and feel. And of course, things slip in about how, you know, I I don't like how my pants are too tight right now. I'm thinking about how this shirt is really soft on my skin. But when I recognize those things that are more looks oriented, I'm able to say, this is a result of some anxiety that I'm feeling because I don't think that this guy I'm going on a date with is going to like that my pants are too tight or whatever. I can kind of trace it back to what's actually causing that anxiety and instead move that into a place where, okay, I'm going to remember to wear more comfortable pants or I'm going to remember to, you know, replace these pants with some that might, you know, look and feel better, be more functional, whatever. You can always shift your mindset a little bit when you feel the objectification in there, in your answer. Okay. I really like that. That's definitely like a, it gives you sort of a framework of where you want to go versus where you are today, (laughs) where one might be today. Now it is time for a new segment. It's called truth or truth. So I'm just going to ask you guys a question and you have to answer truthfully. You have no choice because (laughs) it's truth or truth. Okay. 
Lindsay and Lexi, what is the craziest, like craziest beauty treatment that you have ever done that you just totally regret? Oh, um, I did my own highlights at home one time. This was like <laughs> 10 years ago. They oh, turned not out during COVID. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> they turned out like crazy orange. So then I was really cheap at the time. And I went to a hair salon school because it was only like $25 to get your hair cut or <laughs> dyed or whatever. And this young guy who was apparently brand new in the operation couldn't even figure out how to blow dry my hair to the point where I had to take the comb and be like, let me do this. Like I can comb through my hair. But I I had him try to fix it with low lights. I wanted like a Lauren Conrad kind of darker yeah. blonde at the time. Um, he had no idea what I was talking about, brought other people in. Long story short, my hair was lavender, orange, purple, like the craziest shades you could imagine. And I was there until after it closed for like six hours. And I had to go back the next day for another four hours to have a very wonderful woman fix it. And it looked great. Oh my God. Oh, this was all before a con before a vacation to go visit my boyfriend who lived across the country. And I was petrified. This was 24 hours before. Yeah. That's it. That's really funny. (laughs) Oh, well, I like it. I'm like, I'm more low maintenance than I'd like to admit and pretty cheap. So mine is probably uh, during the pandemic. Um, oh, we were gifted, I know. <laughs> we were gifted some beauty products. Maybe you're thinking. That's of not what I was outfit. thinking. I was thinking about <laughs> who cuts your hair. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that too. I make my husband cut my hair. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. This is not a man who should be cutting hair. And they don't have the right scissors for it either. You're just using kitchen scissors? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, like some some really – it's what happens. It's terrible around here. But no, I definitely make him cut my hair. And that's not even what I was thinking. I was thinking that we were gifted some uh, lash lengthening potions um, that Mm -hmm. I have – I've read all the side effects. I'm like, I have always talked badly about lash lengthening stuff, especially because we talk about how we've been taught to think about our lashes from the time we're born. Um, so I put some on and then it immediately, I woke up with a bright red eye that didn't go away for a couple days. And I was worried it was pink eye, but it was just like a little infection from the lash lengthener. So my lesson in a big way. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah the the side effects of those are so crazy it's like you know, might get dark spots <laughs> I know. change your eye color and I'm like yeah what do you how no. what does that mean <laughs> I know it's too scary it's not worth it I learned my lesson the hard way and now I'm telling the world I'm that's sorry. really funny thank you I'm really interested in seeing your husband cut your hair your hair looks great <laughs> you can do whatever, you know? He does, a, he does a great job. You guys should open a salon. Um, my craziest thing, I've done two crazy things. One, speaking of hair, I gave myself during COVID quarantine, I gave myself a keratin treatment and it was insane because, <laughs> because it was like smelled like chemicals in my house. It said like I had to buy a fan and like sit near a window. Oh. And it, I was just – it was just, I was completely – it lasted like one week. It was the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever done my whole life. But actually, no, that wasn't the dumbest thing because I did – and I've said this before on the podcast. I've done Cool Sculpt. And oh. that was truly the dumbest thing I've ever done in my oh, life no. because – 
it was so expensive and mm-hmm. I lost so much money. I like stupidly paid for their dumb credit card that I had no idea how to pay. And then I paid late and I owed them 900 extra dollars. It was <laughs> the biggest shit show and lesson I've learned in my life that no. that shit doesn't work. That shit doesn't work. <laughs> no. And my arm and my arms were like numb for too long, but I probably signed off my like my life with the waivers. It was just really dumb. Don't do it, kids. <laughs> thank you for your transparency this is what the world needs uh, yeah no i mean don't do it save your money well thank you guys so much thank you lexi and Lindsay. this has been an amazing episode i've had so many revelations in this last hour and i really thank you guys for joining this episode everyone please go follow lexi and Lindsay. beauty redefined right that's your instagram yep And where, so where can people buy your book? And I, I know you guys didn't talk about your nonprofit, but if how can people find that? Yeah, our book is literally everywhere. It's More Than a Body by Lindsay and Lexi Kite. Um, it's everywhere books are sold. It's also in ebook and audible, audiobook, um, anywhere. So we love people listening to that and then underlining their hard copies. You like you said on Instagram, it's beauty underscore redefined, and our website is morethanabody.org. Um, you can find out more information about our nonprofit. We have an online course for body image resilience on the website as well. That's probably about it. That's amazing. Um, and thank you so much for joining our episode. That is it for today's episode. But Lindsay and Lexi will be back for this coming Thursday's episode to answer your dear DST. We're going to share some non-scale wins. It's going to be great. Email yours at DST at Betches.com or DM us at Diet Stars tomorrow. Follow us at Diet Stars tomorrow. Follow me at Aileen and follow Lexi and Lindsay at beauty underscore redefined. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.